And while we have a through line that states authorial intent means dick. Right. I don't want to have to have the same haircut you have, Dad. Sorry, forgive me. Harriet motherfucking tub. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be crawling to something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know. JK. And, crawling and to something else. Uh, so was was this before or after the poster and you vomiting all over the couch? <laughs> For those of you that can't see, Ed's eyes just crossed. That is fucked up. <laughs> but it's not wrong. This is a geek history of time connect nerdery to the real world and by the fact that you can hear me saying that part instead of ed blaylock my erstwhile partner you can tell that i have a guest tonight but first i'm damian harmony i'm a latin teacher up here in northern california teaching at a distance during the plague times uh, and a father of two children a 10 year old who uh, really really likes the 1966 batman tv series and quotes the penguin all the time now and an eight-year-old who is writing her own fan fiction of mouse guard uh, with me on the screen, because we are safe and being good about not getting the plague, is uh, my good friend and comedian, Johnny Taylor. Johnny, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Damien. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself for the uh, 12 fans who don't know who you are. All right. I am, uh, I'm Johnny Taylor. Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian uh, currently located in Northern California. Uh, came back here from Los Angeles, where I was for three years. And uh, moved back just in time to stay in my house for uh, seven months. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm a podcast host as well. I host uh, Hipsterocracy with Johnny Taylor, available on the Hard Times Network. Go subscribe, stream, rate, review, all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've had some great guests and a ton of really big, amazing guests to come. Uh, but th- th- that's me in a nutshell. That's good Stand-up stuff. comedian. Well, I'm glad you could join us tonight, man. I'm hey, stoked, dude. Do you like horror movies, Johnny? Uh, you know, they're one of my favorite things. No shit. So, yeah, I nice. love horror movies. Horror is a huge part of my life. I, uh, I have two two uh, shelves dedicated to all things horror. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's like if uh, I would say it's ranks third maybe in my pop culture loves. Okay, I got to uh, know what numbers one and two are then. Well, I love comedy, okay, and uh, and then uh, uh, professional wrestling. Right. <laughs> so everybody can see why he and I are friends now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a you know I'm a huge wrestling geek, uh, and I I'm consumed by it. I listen yeah. to hours and hours of podcasts on wrestling. And, Same here. Uh, yeah, I love it, but I love horror too. So nice. Uh, yeah, you even got to interview Eric Bischoff. Yeah, amazing. I'm going to interview him again here in a week, oh, and. Nice. Uh, gonna have yeah he was actually interviewing him for my little instagram show i had was the proof of concept that actually got me the contract with a hard time so uh i owe a lot to eric bischoff as uh, many people probably do <laughs> even if they even if they wouldn't admit it you you probably owe uh just a little less than uh billy kidman would owe to eric right. bischoff so exactly so uh, so so many people uh uh, oh, Eric Bischoff, something. Uh, a lot of them probably uh, an ass kicking. <laughs> True. 
Oh, I was I was actually talking with somebody about I was talking with you. Uh, we were talking about because we're both wrestleheads about how Vince Russo uh, was a harbinger for the his entire rise to, and ascent to power was a harbinger for the rise of the Trump Trump presidency. So it makes so so much sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, Russo Russo uh, gaining glory through reality TV show yep. uh, WWF Raw. Yep, and then uh, <laughs> then getting elevated to the uh, way the beyond. biggest, yeah, the biggest, uh, the biggest shot with the biggest company at the time, yep. uh, or at least right there with WWF, and then uh, basically just uh, driving it right into the shitter. Yeah, <laughs> just like getting elevated way beyond his competency on bluster and like narcissistic self delusion, and then just taking everyone down with him. He just, yeah, it was. It was good yeah, time. So look for you, that if, episode soon. Right. If you ever want to, uh, if you ever want to know who uh, Vince Russo's biggest friends were in WCW, all you had to do was look at who had all the screen time. <laughs> so uh, Shane, Shane, he loved, He must have loved Shane Douglas. Oh yeah, because, and, uh, and Jeff Jarrett too. Yeah. Like, oh god, he pushed him through our eyes. So. Well, I actually don't like comedy much, but in the last four years, I've I've watched a lot or not comedy sorry uh horror i don't like horror much i like comedy sure, I, hate, I, <laughs> I hate comedy i hate comedy i really hate comedy don't it hates know. me mostly it's the oh, audiences I, that don't like me so uh apparently people don't like a 4 minute long pun about caesar and britney spears it's just it's it's not the business Listen, you've built an entire uh, following on on 4 minute puns so that's true. i think it's i think it's doing you pretty good <laughs> that's true that's true uh, but, uh, horror, I never really dug. It was never a genre that I liked, but I dated a gal who liked horror a lot. And I knew that scientifically, if you go see horror films with, uh, a, a person that you're sexually attracted to, you end up fucking a lot more. Interesting. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a thing that's true. It gets the adrenal glands going and you get that fight or flight, uh, or freeze or befriend or flop reflex. Uh, and then when it all kind of like resolves, there's that need to be close to someone. So, you know, it in- increases your odds of getting laid by like two or 3%. So, uh, yeah, my current yeah. girlfriend never liked horror until we started dating. Mm-hmm. Now she watches all sorts of horror films all the time nice. and we fuck a lot. So see? see, I think there's something to it. That's science, my friend. That is science. So, so, uh, did you ever see the movie, a quiet place? Sure did. Nice. Uh, so that was, um, a couple years back, a few years back. I saw it too. I saw it in the theater. Um, and uh, today's show is called A Quiet Place for Rural White America. <laughs> so, <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. So just uh, off the off the top, did you like the movie? I hated it. Um, and it, it was so critically acclaimed mm-hmm. that uh, I was I, – here's the thing. Mm-hmm. And this is coming as a professional wrestling fan. Sure. I found the suspending of disbelief mind-numbingly hard <laughs> in, in this movie okay you know and people it's a couple years old now so yeah. i mean it's probably it's not as fresh in my mind as, as it could be mm-hmm. but i just remember the entire time being like they would have got caught right there <laughs> gotcha. the monsters would have caught them right there and you know? and yet you and i willingly accepted tugboat as a viable face right exactly so, yeah my whole thing how are they farting that's, you know what I mean? You know, that like actually... Just muffling their farts. <laughs> that like, came up. Tremendously. Right. That came up in so many articles that I read about this movie. Um, that was like That's the fun. top three things that people would bring up. Farting was always in the top three. Um, yeah. 
I mean, what if you cough? You have to cough. Right. Yeah, human beings cough hundreds of times a day. They sure. don't even realize. But and with COVID, it's like people are like, "Oh my God, he coughs." It's like, right. yeah, we all literally hundreds of times a day we cough. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, how are they coughing? Are or they sneezing? Just yeah, 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 right. That's one you can't control. Yeah, you're gonna make noise when you sneeze. You That's... know, you can kind of muffle a cough, and you can muffle a sneeze, but it makes a noise. Yeah. The guess, monsters would have caught them. I guess with farting, like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but, like, if you spread them really far apart and you get the right angle on it, you can get the wind to go through instead of anything clapping. Yeah, there's but, nothing like, uh, was it was it, uh, Emily Bunton? Was that who is in this? Who's Emily in this? Blunt, yeah. Emily Blunt. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing better than just imagining a, <laughs> adorable Emily <laughs> Blunt just spread her cheeks far apart. Yeah, so she can sneak a fart through, <laughs> so monsters don't attack her. That's uh, that's. I, I mean, that's an amazing visual. Yeah, I really, you know, I bet you that was on the the cutting room floor. They probably just cut it for time, but she's just she's just laying in bed <laughs> like three in the morning, and she's just got, slowly got like, the leg up. cupping her, cupping her cheek. <laughs> I mean, well, and they it have makes, a, it makes me want to watch the movie again, to be honest. You know, yeah, you know, you could like see where that cut was at least, you know. Right. But and they had a deaf daughter in the movie, and and there's there was a thing going around for a while. There was a teacher of deaf students who she had to explain to a first grader that everyone can hear his farts because he didn't know, and <laughs> and he thought people were being rude by listening in, and she's like, oh. no, it's this is how it works. So like, <laughs> how do you tell her not to do that? You know, like oh, she, she's got no gross. basis for knowledge on oh, yeah. on what it sounds like. It just yeah. So Yeah, well, I wish they would have kept that scene in yeah. where they're they're having the talk, like, yeah. listen, uh you your don't. farts aren't just for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're for everybody. Oh they're man. for monsters. Right. Your fart will bring a monster. That's it's yeah, not silent, but it's deadly. You know? And spoiler alert, that yeah. poor dev kid Oof. ruins everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right up front, like she's like, yeah. there can be only two. Like she's right, right. A really fucked up uh, Highlander. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, all right. So, in January of 2016, Scott Beck and Brian Woods started writing a screenplay about a deadly but very sound sensitive uh, group of aliens that came to Earth and radically changed how people communicated with each other just to stay alive. That was the the treatment that they'd written, and they sent it to John Krasinski who had just brought his new daughter home from the hospital that summer with his wife, Emily Blunt. Krasinski immediately saw the similarities between that story and being a father to a new child, which I can say, as a father, that makes sense. There's this idea of, like, I have to take care of this thing, and then the overwhelming reality of, I can never take care of this thing fully. Right. So That he, makes sense. Yeah, he wanted to keep it safe, you know, and, he, and, and so that was what was in, in his mind, was keeping his daughter safe. So he, being John Krasinski, he had some stroke, speaking of Jeff Jarrett, um, and he lobbied to direct the movie. And his wife, Emily Blunt, read it, and she's like, I have to be in this movie. And they had a bit of a, uh, a talk about both starring in it, and they both agreed to do it. And basically, at its core, the movie is a survival story, which is post-apocalyptic. Uh, a family does what it needs in order to survive in a world where these aliens have killed off almost everyone. Uh, in fact, this family is almost all that we see during the whole movie. I think we see like one or two other people, and that's it. 
Um, the oldest daughter is deaf, as we'd said, but she has a cochlear implant uh, that doesn't work. So that means that she probably was, uh, she had the ability to hear through a mechanism that, that basically sent signals to the nerves in her brain, but it didn't work. Uh, as a result, the whole family knows American Sign Language. Um, there's a son and a younger son who dies in the first 10 minutes and a baby who is on the way, and that's a major plot point. Um, and because how do you give birth without making any noise? Never mind the farting. I mean, birth yeah. is a painful process from every woman I've talked to. Uh, very quiet. You just got to really stuff those screams deep, deep inside. Right. <laughs> Which, good Lord. And then how do you keep the baby from crying? You know, like it's, right. it's it, it. None of it is like that's that's the plot point that's like horrific. And it's like it, it's almost like there's a timer counting down to disaster for this family. Yeah, having a baby, certain disaster. Absolutely, hundred percent. Babies are the worst thing for a family. I got to tell you, uh, as, <laughs> I've heard as as a guy who collects divorces. Um, yes. So, uh, the uh, they the family lives on a farm, uh, and they've set up all kinds of methods to walk without making noise to harvest their food. They they've basically taken sand from I don't quite know where, because it's very soft sand, and they clearly live in forests. Um, but they, they have sand everywhere and they stay on those paths. So that keeps you quiet. Now, I personally really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was very well made and very well directed. I didn't even think about the farting. Um, but, uh, I think I know why is because, uh, Krasinski did a really good job of absorbing me into the silence of the movie. Um, the movie itself, there's very little music. It's a lot of silence. Um, it's told from the point of view of the, the, the daughter who is deaf um, at times. Um, and then otherwise it's, it's a long while before you hear any lines and there's like less than a hundred lines in the whole movie. Um, but, uh, he draws you into this world where you totally believe that silence is necessary. Um, and I, yeah, I did, I did, yeah. I did think they did a good job mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Um, they did such a good job that I remember stink eyeing a woman who was like three seats down from me and my girlfriend at the time. Um, because she was digging into her jujubes or her like her food. I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? And then I like realized. You gotta get us killed. Yeah. And then I realized I was like, oh, good job, movie. Good job. Yeah. Right, right. Kudos. <laughs> uh, so I was enamored of the movie when I first saw it, um, partly because I love survival movies. Um, uh-huh. Because I think I think a good survival movie is it takes our humanity and it strips away all the good stuff, and so that you really do see existentially what we are underneath. Some people they freeze, some people fight, some people are predators, some people are scavengers, some people are cooperators. Like I like seeing that breakdown. To me, it's like a, a cheaper version of sci-fi because uh-huh. because you can do it on such a low budget and right. like. You've got this menace off screen that we never have yeah. to see. You don't need a spaceship or anything, right? You know, and it's cool if there are some, but like you don't need it. Like, I, so I like survival movies, so I, I like this. Um, but this one was about a family and and survivor's guilt because the son dies really early on, and the hurt that comes from the death of a child in the family, which is really, really, um, really. It, that's that's a really. It's like turpentine for the soul. Like it strips uh-huh. you down, you know. Um, so I was into it. I was. Um, I totally didn't realize the farting thing. Like so. I love the farting never came up because yeah. it was. It was one of the things I remember. I watched it with my girlfriend, and I we watched it at home, mm-hmm. and we we're. I remember very early on 
being like, what if you fart? Which I think that says more about me. <laughs> well, you're a practical you know? man, Johnny. I think I might have farted. Uh-huh. And then I was like, that would have got me killed. You know? Yeah, that's that's a very valid concern. Like, now that you've said it out and, and I've read it a bunch of times, it's like, why didn't I think of that? Because it's not like... Yeah, I mean, that's just, I think maybe my experience would have been different in the theater. Yeah. You know, where you're... Be. You know, you're, you're trying not to fart anyways, you know? What That's if true. it smells? That's true. Know? Although uh, the cushions are big enough that, like, it can just seep in. It would have absorbed it, but yeah. I, I was definitely worried about, like, you know, I'm generally worried about what if my fart smells. Gotcha. And you can't just walk away. You know? Yeah, there. you kind of have to you're sit in the it. seat. And then it, like, seeps up into your scrotum. So Right. No, yeah, I get you that. Don't, you, don't, you don't want your taint dusty with farts. <laughs> For the whole for the whole movie, Dusty Taint is gonna be a wrestler in the next forty years. You <laughs> <Dusty>. know? <laughs> yeah, baby, I want Dusty Taint. Yeah, I got a little bit of the vociferous, <laughs> vociferous uh, foods, baby. Oh man! <laughs> so uh, now, what I missed in the first viewing was the context in which the movie was made. Like, and and normally that's really hard for me to miss because I'm an historian. Because I actually never really liked horror to begin with. Uh, my girlfriend did. And I would go see horror movies with her because that's what you do. Uh, and in order to enjoy them, I would have to get some sort of intellectual rub on it. And and so that was usually like, oh, okay, this movie was made about this time or it was made at this time. What's going on to make this movie popular? Uh, but this one was so good, so well made in terms of the direction of, of pulling me in that I didn't look at the context at first. Um, in order to get to the context, I think we need to look at John Krasinski a little bit more. Uh, you know who John Krasinski is? Yes. Okay. Let's look at him. Yeah. He is something to look at, that guy. He's a (laughs) handsome man. He is. He is. Like, and I didn't really know who he was. Apparently his star rose at a time where I was looking away. But he was on The Office, um, and then he, uh finished up on that i think he finished up on it and then he went to play the lead in a michael bay film called 13 hours and yeah a lot of people remember that one yeah (laughs) well it was uh certain people do because it was specifically about benghazi and it was released in january 2016 yeah it was super red meat uh because there was a section of the population luckily it was nowhere near a majority unluckily that's not how our system works um, but they were casting about for an avatar for their hatred of all things Hillary Clinton and Benghazi became the one. Um, and so then you've got a popular movie that comes out about Benghazi in the election year. Um, Mark Levin, who is a talk show host on uh, Fox News, was thirsty as fuck for it. And uh, he also is a radio show. Um, and he was happy to give it all kinds of publicity on his network. And uh, here, here's here's how amazing this movie was. It premiered in AT and T Stadium in Dallas. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> like. So was that? So is this a box office hit? This thirteen hours? Uh, you know, I didn't look into how much money it made. Honestly, uh, I but it's one of those. It's a Michael Bay film, so you know, lots of explosions, lots of action, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And so I imagine they recouped, but also usually when movies get made where it involves the military, you actually get the military to help you and then they get final edit and all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of savings that you can have there. That's why Top Gun was such a a, a jingoistic hit in 1986. 
Um, mm. Because the Navy was like, hey, we don't have that many pilots. Can we do something about that? And they were like, oh, yeah, here, Tom Cruise. Yeah. And it's like the Cold War. It's like, oh, yeah, let's. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's make it happen. Like you literally never saw the bad guys. All you saw was their face mask with a red star at the top. That's so, all you need, man. Yeah, we didn't even know what kind of bad guys they were. Yeah, if you want to brainwash the public, yeah. don't let don't let them seem like they have feelings. <laughs> exactly. Do not make them people. You cannot right. be people. Yeah, they need to be TIE fighter pilots, and that's it. Yeah. So, All right, so Krasinski also goes on to star in the Amazon series called Jack Ryan. Uh, which is actually currently still on. So if you need to get your uh, John Krasinski fix, that's where you go. Um, so he plays this character named Jack Ryan, who was a character that was created in uh, the 80s by a guy named Tom Clancy. Who yeah, wrote all kinds of Yeah, all kinds of... It's basically America's 007 in the Cold War, right? That's, that's right. essentially it. Um, now, this character has actually lived on past Tom Clancy, who died in 2013. So that's kind of morbid. Um, but this... And, and his, his um, estate is totally fine with that, by the way, because it's a cash cow. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure they're like, keep on doing it, yeah. old. We don't mind. We don't know. Artistic integrity, no need. Uh, yeah. we're, we, we like these checks. Keep that so, money coming up. But uh, it's interesting because this character, Jack Ryan, has always been an analyst who then gets drawn into field work in some way. Um, and he's been Alec Baldwin in Hunt for Red October. He was Harrison Ford in Patriot Games and a few other movies. He was Ben Affleck in uh, Clear and Present Danger. And he was even Chris Pine in a movie called Shadow Recruit that I had to look up because I didn't know existed. Wow. Yeah. Jack Ryan is a character that has been making some money. Yeah. Um, and I God, I saw a statistic, but it was like absurdly obscure. It was like he was like the 74th highest grossing character or something like it was it was an insanely wow. weird number um like right. nowhere near the top three at yeah all. i'm sure rocky's up there and oh stuff. yeah oh yeah so they're just but jack running. ryan he's in top 100 that's not bad yeah yeah you know it's better than what i've written so uh but yeah uh now krasinski plays him on a streaming tv show and it's actually well regarded as a tv sh- series as an action series um but it's it's very much our generation's version of 24 yeah, it um, seems like that. Yeah, it's a spy show. It's uh, casts the CIA as the protagonist um, at a time where our role in the world is questionable at best, and our credibility is doubtful at best. Um, and it's a voice for people who want to cheer the competence of our military, um, to cheer the competence of our intelligence services and our federal government's direction of both of those things. Which, how can we? How in any? realistic world can we cheer that but there it is john john krasinski's taken some very maga roles yeah he has he really has um for 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 what i believe is a left-leaning liberal yeah well you know and that's it's i kind of get into that a little bit uh about him um a little bit further down here but like yeah it is kind of it's almost like he is those liberals who want the plausible deniability right um so yeah, I'm not sure, but I know that he's the star of this this rah rah CIA kind of thing. And right. he did an interview with Fox News, and again, look where he keeps going um, mm. in 2018. And he was jubilant about getting to spend all this time with CIA personnel and and do research for his role. Um, and he keeps coming back to the claim uh, that he cares more that, about the fact that he's depicting people who work in the CIA 
then he's depicting a CIA agent. Like he, he's like, this is about people. And here's a quote he said. He says, I'll always respect the people who put their lives on the line for people like me whom they've never met. So mm. that's what he's dining out on. And Interesting. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, on, on some levels, there's, there's humanity to that. I mean, these, these yeah, are... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's... There are people who are absolutely doing that, you know, who don't know me, and, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful to them for it. But it's... He's... It feels to me like he's using them as a bit of a scutcheon um, just to kind of hide the... It, it, it feels disingenuous, even though it might not be. It, it could be painfully right. naive. I mean, you know. and look where he's saying it. You know, he's he's yeah. saying it on the the shadowy <laughs> lurker of the of the network news channels. You know, That's very true, very true. So, uh, he also started his own news channel in March of 2020. Uh, once we all went on lockdown, called Some Good News. Yeah, I remember this. Okay, see, I never. I think he's. It. I think he might have sold it. He did. He did. <clears throat> um, now, the conceit of the show was that he would only deliver good news during the quarantine. Um, and he originally, he, he, his on record, his story has never changed. He, he originally planned to do eight episodes and it caught fire. It got 330,000 subscribers overnight. Uh, by April, his first episode had over 12 million views. I hear that that's a lot. Still pretty good. Yeah. Um, it was really well received, uh, as, as a series. It gave people something to smile about during what at the time were very uncertain times, I kind of long for those uncertain times because at least we we're uncertain about it. Right. Yeah. Uncertainty uh, means that there might be hope somewhere <laughs> in there. And, uh, and, and yeah. seven, seven months in, it's like, I'm certain that this is a fucking disaster. Yeah. Can we swear? I'm sorry. I said that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would agree. Um, now, Michelle Obama praised it. Lynn Manuel Miranda praised it. A lot of other people caught on to it and sang its praises. And it, it, by all accounts, it was a lot of uh, positive press for it, and it was a good show. Sure. Um, it was so successful that he did end up selling it to Viacom CBS. Okay, um, and he did what all something's of, pure. Yeah, make money off. Oh yeah, yeah. Might when, as well. When to doubt, make money off. Yeah, if you could, like, I mean, honestly, I would have loved to have done that. Like, if my pun show ever gets bought up by Viacom CBS for the money that he, for a quarter of the money that he got for it, I would be a happy, happy man. How much did he end up getting for it? Um, he, it's undisclosed. Okay. I looked for hours for that. Could not find it. So I'm assuming a mint. Yeah, yeah. He made, you know? he made some millies. Yeah. You know, he did what all of us would love to do. I mean, if you had that option to sell the podcast that you're doing right now, if it meant that you couldn't do it anymore... But it also meant that you never had to worry about making rent again. Right. It's heartbeat. It's I mean, the my parent company, the Hard Times, mm-hmm. just sold for, you know, seven figures to Jesus. Revolver and Inked Mag. And, you know, they they were like, Yeah, we're selling it, you know? Yeah. We're we never had money, now we have it. Yeah. And we also get to keep creative control. So that's even cooler. That's right. That's some so. Hulk Hogan level shit there. Right. So, or Harris Brothers, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so uh, he self-financed this show to begin with, and then he sell, sells it off for undisclosed. Um, and he and so so what? So what if CBS buys it, uh, then lays off 50 staffers and cuts the hours of 450 more employees the very next week as a cost-cutting measure? So what? Oh, 
Yeah, you know, that's not, that's not the best look. Yeah, but he didn't have any control over that, right? Like, I mean, and so what if Viacom CBS is going to take what was offered to the for free to the masses and then potentially put it behind a paywall while doing the aforementioned thing to its employees? Like, so what? That's that's not him. No, not at all. Yeah, you know. And so the thing is, though, like he keeps showing up. I want to say he keeps falling off on the wrong side of history in this stuff. Right. And he keeps showing up in things that seem to be coded going one specific direction. Uh-huh. Rich people hurting their workers and jingoistic movies. Like there's there's a large overlap of those. Yeah. 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 It's 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 almost like you're like, oh, maybe that's just an accident. Right. You know, maybe the, he's uh, yeah. just happens to land on the wrong side of things. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. He's the most he's the unluckiest. <laughs> amazingly rich white guy with a beautiful wife i've ever heard of exactly exactly you know and and i i guess more power to him i mean he's getting more money so literally more power to him but yeah yeah so his responses to that have been somewhat wooden as well um of course he's allowed to be focused just on the work and to do the best job to be the characters that he's hired to play like we've had this discussion about comedians on the scene there are some of us who say that it doesn't matter what you say as long as it gets laughs, that matters. That's all that matters. That's the gold standard. And other people are like, no, how about you don't be a dick and you make people laugh, like have some artistry into it. And then there's other people who are like, you know, like hack, you can make a living being a hack. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of places where people I think can hide mentally about this kind of thing. But at the same time, like who am I to tell someone not to go feed their family this way? Right. At the very least, try to have some balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, I, I get it. It's like, okay, you know, we all have things in our act that might be a, a cheap laugh. Yeah. But balance it out with some stuff that's thoughtful, some stuff that, uh, you know, has a voice worth hearing. Right. Right. Something, you know, you know, ele- ele- elevates those that can't elevate themselves for whatever reason, yeah. you know, or at least doesn't stomp them in the groin. Right. You know, and again, like I've I've gone through my own evolution on this thinking, and I hope I continue to evolve on it. But yeah, it just I don't know. Someone saying that I'm just here for the work, it does feel cop outy to me. Totally, it's um, really easy to say. Yeah, right? yeah. That's that's the path of least resistance as far as answering a question like that. You know, where it's just like, yeah. hey, man, I'm just focusing on the work. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting too because like uh, you you have seen that shift happen in sports too, where our uh, athletes are in many ways kind of like now they're being baited into answering questions and they're like being confrontational. I'm like, no, fuck it. I actually do think this, you know? And, right. and so that's, that's been, it's been kind of interesting to see that evolution as well. I, there was a comic I heard um, a couple years back and they said, you know, what's, what's something that you've noticed has, has reversed in, in your lifetime. And he says, Oh, it used to be the nerds were the ones who were right and the jocks were assholes. Right. And he's like, now the jocks are standing up for social justice and the nerds are grabbing tiki torches and screaming. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's, you know? Fuck. <laughs> like I used to, I used to say, if you watch revenge of the nerds, oh. uh, it's one of those things where it's like, man, you know, the nerds have always been creeps. Yeah. You know, at least the jocks weren't raping anybody yeah, in, the, no in the movies. You know yeah. what I mean? They had consent. Yeah. Like, and, at least and the girls wanted them and they yeah. didn't have to, you know. <laughs> and that's why we hated them, you know? And it's just, it's like, 
Right. We hated <laughs> we hated them because they were attracted to the opposite sex. <laughs> like that is so like caveman. Oh yeah. Fucking incel bullshit. <laughs> so so he keeps finding himself here, right? And and he he's continuing to after the office show up in the same theme over and over again and his defense of those very movies those very roles that he does ranges from very valid claims of some sort of artistic integrity claiming that he never thought that there was any inherent conservatism to his roles in his projects which is possible that someone could stay that naive and i say this because i remember julia roberts didn't understand what twitter was (laughs) and i think that wherever wherever you you were in life when you made it big. You are frozen in your development on some levels. It's could arrested be, development. Yeah, political arrested development. It could be technological arrested development. But then again, there's people all over the place who are like standing up and they're like, no, I actually, you know, this is this is odious and I, I think it's terrible. So I don't know. Um, it's possible, though. I'll, I'll try to be fair. He's also said, quote, when people look for something that they want to see, I can't stop them from a subjective belief in something. Which I tried to trace that quote back, and I couldn't tell if he was responding to, do you think conservatives are jerking off to your movies too much? Or do uh-huh. you think liberals are getting too triggered? I couldn't find what he was saying. Or was he saying something about um, critics, like taking his movies to task for conservative coding? Like... I, I couldn't figure it out, and he left it like he never clarified it further. Yeah, I just wish maybe he'd be honest about it. Yeah. Which the the honest answer is probably like, listen, I think it's fun to fucking play make believe and be a badass hero. Yeah, and like I think it's fun. I love GI Joe. Like right. I, you know, like I wish he could have just been like, you know, there's no secret coding other than I think these characters are fun, and I don't get to live this out in my real life. That would be a step. And like if people press him, he'd be like, look, I don't care about politics. And and if I got my wish, he would also say, because I'm rich enough that I don't have to. Right. At least he would be being uh, genuine. Yeah. Or he could say, like, listen, I do care about politics and my political beliefs are, are separate from the artistic roles that I take. Absolutely. You know, and the artistic roles that I take, I take because I think they're fun. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. You know, and Henry Fonda and and Jimmy Stewart uh, were famous for being on opposite sides of the aisle back when the the aisle cut through like decency, at least. Um, And and they got into a fist fight one night and then they agreed to never talk politics again. Um, And I don't remember who was on what side. The 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 part of me that loves Harvey wishes that Jimmy Stewart was the the liberal there. But I don't know. Right, um, right. But it's just interesting to look at the movies they played in and to like be like, oh my god, one of them had totally opposite views of the other. Uh, of course, they both thought that the poor should be taken care of. They just disagreed as to how, not right. You know, yeah, so it's different now. Yeah, it changed. Yeah, but <laughs> that, that line got real hard hey, in the middle. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what the truth is to what he says. I do know that I try to take people at their words, but I also think that if you look at his movies, it can be pretty revealing as well. So we have an almost motto on our show, Ed and I do, and it's this. Authorial intent doesn't mean dick. Because the artist will absolutely have one thing in mind, and it turns out, 
the thing they produced was 100% a product of the times that they lived in. Wow. And I, we, we did it with J.R.R. Tolkien. He's like, I'm not writing an allegory to World War One. And and you read Lord of the Rings, you're like, you totally wrote an allegory about World War One. Like it just happened. It just did. You know, like Conan the Barbarian. It was not a Reagan wet dream, but it totally was a Reagan wet dream because that's when the movie got made. You know, so and just... so in a way that brings us to you know Jack. Mm-hmm. What is his name? Jack Ryan. Yeah. This character who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a time when we we have no uh, no clear path as far as the government goes. Yep. Uh, no, let's take it back. We're you know what? We're still badass. We fight hard. We're the smartest. Right. We're the strongest. Yeah. We're the most technologically advanced. Yeah. Uh, and and somewhere, you know, there's people with MAGA hats coming. Yes. Exactly. I mean, that's that's exactly it. So, and he's got to know that. Mm-hmm. And and if he doesn't, like, just wow. Like, I would love to have the ability to be that naive. He's not that dumb. No, he can't I refuse be. to believe he's that dumb. Okay. So let's, uh, you know, he he very well might have innocently fallen over backward into a polemic about how right white rural people can't speak their minds in this world anymore and because they're under constant threat from others to keep quiet if they want to be left alone. He might have fallen over backward into that and that just accidentally happened to be the paint that spilled everywhere into the exact pattern. So let's look at the context of the movie again. Uh, It comes out, here's what really blew blew me away. It comes out a year after Get Out did. Right. And get, Almost like yeah. an answer. Yes, because Get Out yeah. was absolutely a horror film about race, and this was a horror film not about race because there's no people of color in it at all. Right, right. So it's simple, rural American white family. That's and it, it is, even from the very first scene of the movie mm-hmm. where the little deaf kid is walking around and the, the, it's like a general store. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and and by the way, that city is it's a city and it's dangerous. Right. You know, so it's it's, you know, and so this movie, there's nothing overt in it, but it is kind of an interesting thematic like nothing purposeful, I'll put it that way, but it is an interesting thematic response within the sh- same genre. Get Out had subtle and amazing symbolism in it. Um if you look at the color palette of white people's clothing, uh, contrasted with the very few black people who were in it. The white people were always wearing reds and whites. The black people were wearing blue. Um, so it's an American flag, and it's a fractured American dream. Yeah, um, you know, his girlfriend, you know, the white gal who brought him home, she she separated her cereal from her milk. So the white milk stayed pure, and the colored cereal was in its own bowl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the protagonist literally stuffs cotton in his ears so that he doesn't get hypnotized again using the same thing that 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 was the impetus for brutalizing black people in America for you right. know 300 years cotton becomes his salvation like what an inversion that is like wow. that's some seriously good symbolism you know and that's just the more overt stuff that i caught on the first view and then like a couple combs through i was like holy shit this movie is deep um it's a very rich movie about agency about losing identity and about fitting in and the, the horror just becomes the vehicle for it. That's Get Out. And like you said, A Quiet Place is almost an answer to it. 
you've, you've got a rural family living a solitary life, forced to keep quiet in order to survive because of the dark-skinned, physically imposing, and threatening aliens who will respond to the slightest noise by brutally abducting them, which is shown within the first few minutes of the film when the youngest son's inability to control his joy at playing with a space t- uh, shuttle toy uh, makes noise, gets him killed. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, the family itself can communicate silently because their eldest daughter herself is deaf. The father is clearly the leader of the family, too. So it's a very yeah. patriarchal movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, definitely, like, aged gender, uh, gender roles. Uh, exactly. You know. The typical conservative American household. Yeah. And the mother's a very capable partner, but clearly dad is leading. Um, Now, they've figured out how to diminish or eliminate virtually all noise from the goings-on of their farm. Uh, Maybe they have fart pillows. I don't know. Fart pillows. Something. Um, It really would have been a lot funnier, though, if they're walking around with, like, like couch cushions strapped to their ass. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you you can't go out without that. You know, it's like hanging out by the the door. (laughs) That's the play. Yeah. The play is like, we need to, we need fart pillows. Yeah. Find the upholstery store. Um, the abandoned upholstery store. Or, or maybe they just bought a whole lot of tampons and just crammed them. Stuck them right up their ass. You know? So I, I think that's, that can work. I don't know. Uh, but they've come up with all these different um, systems that work both uh, for the hearing members of the family and for their deaf daughter. Um, he himself is very smart. He uses electronics. He farms. He catches fish. Um, and he has built, and evidently silently built, a birthing chamber that's virtually soundproof. And he works very hard to take care of his family, and they appreciate his efforts by and large. For sure. It's also a survivalist movie, which we have to admit is a very white people genre. True. Like the only survival movie I can think of that's not a white people drama is there's two of them that come to mind. One is the deadliest game. Um, or is is it called just deadly game? It's the one with Ice T and Rutger Hauer. Oh yeah, deadly game. Deadly game. And then the other one is um Bird Box. Oh yeah, Bird Box with old Sandra, yeah. old Sandy. Yeah, which was her apology for doing uh Blindside. I think she's like, look, I can kiss a black guy too. I didn't just promote <laughs> racism. And paternalism yeah. with with the really tall football player, yeah. Uh, so, um, but uh, and and again, I love these kinds of movies. So it, th- that absolutely is true. White people love these kinds of movies, um, but I love it because of a different reason than I think a lot of people are digging this. I like to see, like I said, what people do when they're faced with existential terror, and what happens to their humanity, what happens to their community, what happens to their ability to adapt. I love shit like that. Um, but this family, it's not about that. It's about how the family saves them. And the family in the movie is very white and very nuclear. It's not a multi-generational family either. It's mom and dad and kids. Yeah, right. And it's baby boomer kids too. It's it's you're gonna have three. You know, that's baby boom shit there. Uh-huh. So Yeah, that's uh it's interesting. It's it's interesting to think of uh you know, what was the screenwriter's true intent. Mm-hmm. Did this did this just happen or was it purposeful? Right. And I like to think that, well, I, I like to, again, take people on their words. So he's making a family survival film about protecting your children. But the codes that he uses for it are all white nuclear family 
type stuff. Like, right. like uh, Ed is very fond of saying like, and then you step back and notice the actual pattern in the wallpaper on the walls. And that pattern has always been there, but you just noticed it. Right. And so you've got a dad who's in charge. You've got a mom who's pregnant and the kids do what he says for the most part. And by the way, everybody's pretty much barefoot. So she's literally pregnant and barefoot. Yeah. Um, and there are several gaping emotional wounds between all of them. He's not a flawless dad. It's not like father knows best meets the apocalypse, which right. that sounds interesting too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. It's, uh, the apocalypse. Ooh, yeah. that would be, yeah. Like, where do they, do they hunt down Wally? Does, or yeah. Does, yeah. does Eddie Haskell become like a, 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 a warlord? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So he's not a flawless dad. He's a clearly very caring man. He's tender. Uh, but at the end of the day, he does what he does for the safety of his family. Um, in fact, if you even look at like the way that he uses sign language, it's very curt and abrupt because survival matters. This is urgent. Gotta do it. You know, whereas other people have slightly different styles. The mother's is a little bit more flowy because she's trying to keep beauty in the world. She doesn't care just about survival. She wants the kids to know about life and to live. She's teaching them Shakespeare. Um, like there's there's a background in the background is very well decorated, but uh, there's a, a board where they're clearly going over scansion and what iambic pentameter is. Interesting. Yeah, you know, which itself is about the sound of words, which I got a kick out of. Um, and I don't remember what the quote was up there, but I bet you it's about something having to do with what kind of people we really are or something. Of course, that's most Shakespeare quotes worth quoting. But um, at the end of the day, um, it's a very frontier wasp-oriented fantasy with a vague enemy out in the woods, like Native Americans. Right, right. So, And I can't not address the monastic tie-ins for this movie too, by the way. Um, so in many ways, they're living on a monastery. They're living on a self-sustained farm. Their last name is Abbott. So the dad is the head Abbott. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, uh, it's very Catholic vibe there, uh, especially since a lot of monasteries take a vow of silence. Oh, interesting. Which gets them closer to God, and, and, and then they can further foster the insular community, and they also tend to walk around barefoot. So just kind of cool things that they're playing with here too, but, yeah. but it does seem to all aim toward like, you know, the, the nuclear white family. So the dad is the main character. Um, and he's also, like I said, technology proficient, um, uh, which, which reminds me a great deal of the ham radio community and the home electronics solder soldiers, uh, who are a small subculture of white people who tend to be distrustful of outsiders. They tend to hole up in isolation due to that distrust. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole, uh, I think that's the whole, where tinfoil hat kind of comes from, you know, mm -hmm. where, you're like, let me get my radio transmitter, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And there is that community. And I thought the same thing. And I mean, when you say he's technically proficient, mm -hmm. he's not technically, he's like, he's like a, a hacker type where he's like, I'm mm -hmm. going to get radio scanners and I'm going to create a, I'm going to, I'm working on this earpiece for my kid trying to make it work better. You know, like he's definitely like do it yourself science guy. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I mean, he's achieved a lot of like he's very good at a lot of things. He's a real renaissance man. Yeah. You know, he's like, I fish well, you know, I fucking all silently. Right. How do you fish? Like, yeah, well, and then he's the one that discovered that if there's another louder noise nearby, you can actually make noise. 
and, and right. stuff like that. Yeah. You know, you have that whole scene, and we actually get lyric or lyrics. We actually get dialogue. You know, oh, it'd yeah. be funny if like his son's first words were like, "All right, here's some too short." Yeah, yeah, he's all woke up quick at about <laughs> noon. <laughs> That's his, his first words. Uh, yeah, the, the the whole thing is, uh, yeah, you know, uh, as as we talk, and mm-hmm. I've always I've known this about you for a long time, but you you're not a person that can just casually enjoy something. <laughs> you, know, you, you, know I mean? you are not wrong. Yeah, you're definitely like I could get stoned and just like throw something on and be like, "Cool, digest it, go to sleep, wake up the next day and be like, that movie's pretty badass." But you're like, uh, "Yeah, I saw that they were uh, you know discussing Shakespeare on the on the." I was like, I would have never in a million years noticed that. Well, I'm I'm the guy that's just all like, "How do they fart?" Right. And yet, which, which, really, which question blows open the whole movie? Right, so to speak. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but, so, I'm, I'm over here intellectualizing about, you know, how they made the little cone traps for fish so that they could fish at a distance. Uh, and, and you're like, yeah, but farting would destroy the whole movie. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I, I yeah, completely I missed that, that play. <laughs> yeah. I never, I never thought of the farting. <laughs> so, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, but that's literally the point of the podcast. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so it, it this this farm kind of reminds me of what Ruby Ridge that family wished it could be. Right, the Ruby Ridge family. Yeah. So. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah I think I think you're right. You yeah. Know? So the mom. To be fair, yeah. yeah. To be fair, there weren't aliens, but it's true. You know. True. Uh, no, just feds who... Yeah, something much scarier. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so isn't it weird that you had a situation where the white supremacists were the good guys in that one? That's, yeah, wild. Whew. Oh, the 90s. Um, so, Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Right, exactly. Just It's like my friends who are communists, they'll, they'll get on and just bash the shit out of liberals, and then, you know... The, uh, maggots and trumpansies are like yeah yeah and then my friends are like yeah so come to our meeting and it's you know and they're like what well, that's communism like, right we also hate liberals yeah it's like, yeah yeah We've, <laughs> we we finally found a place where we can meet right so so the mom handles most of the domestic chores it, it would seem she's uh literally her barefoot and pregnantness while doing the laundry is kind of what drives the plot in the second half of the movie she's close to full term so labor is expected any day now. And while the dad is out getting food, having taken his son with him, which mimics the sexual politics of a battleship board game box from the 1960s. Right. Um, and also it's it's very, I mean, Andy Griffith, you know, you yeah. kind of expect them to whistle, except they can't. Yeah, can't whistle. <laughs> but she's doing the laundry while her daughter is off doing whatever teenagers do. I mean, it's so it's so much like a 1950s sitcom almost. Or family drama. Um, right. And so while she's doing the laundry, she catches the laundry bag on a nail, which pulls the nail up. And it, it, now it's at stabbing position. And it and the nail becomes Chekhov's gun. Um, and inexplicably, she doesn't actually check on what dragged and carries with her uh, all the laundry and carries on her womanly chores. And it's like, I'm sorry. If, if I had something that got caught on stairs, I would check. Right. Especially if it made a ripping noise. Oof, yeah. You know, speaking of farts. Yeah, real. 
So the family is on a farm, like I've said a number of times. I cannot make this point strongly enough, though, because they're on a family farm in rural America. They're in the heartland. These are the kinds of people that Chevy would make poem commercials about during the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know that that, that is true. It's uh, everything about it plays very traditional fifties family. Yes, or or this rural heartland kind of value of we're the real Americans, the heartbeat of America. Yes, Chevrolet. You know, yeah, there. You remember that commercial with there's a farmer and it's, yeah. it's like, which is funny because I, if I recall correctly, and I might not, but if I recall correctly, that poem was actually pointing out how fucked the farmers get by big business, right? but whatever. So, uh, there's a family fun, family farm, which is run by the dad, tended by the mom with a couple of kids to help out. They own land, which is an implication, um, they're not city dwellers. There's another thing. The cities are where minorities tend to be, and those are desolate wastelands, uh, which is something we find out in the first few minutes as they're wandering through a dead town. Um, so, you know, just just fill in the blank with all the, the disgust that rural America has with city America. Right. Coast, coastal elites. Right. You know, the, the big city folk, you know, with, with their, their coffee shops. Um, It's also the site of a horrible family tragedy because their son got killed because he doesn't keep quiet enough. And one of the scary, dark-skinned, aggressive creatures kills him. Um, It's also a city that's textually... uh, The the, the, the movie is textually laid in with various newspaper headlines in the background, too. Cities are bad. Farms are good. Families are good. Dad in charge is good. Keeping a child is good. Homeschooling is good. Like, they didn't even talk about aborting. Um... And finally, this family is very well well armed. Um, they've got guns, and they've got a fair amount of them based on where we find these guns stored throughout the movie. Right. Not to cut you off, but let's just yeah. go back a little bit. Yeah, you know, at, at some point, you would have thought John Krasinski's character would have thought, like, all right, uh, do we keep the baby? What's going to make less noise? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That thought has to cross their mind. If he's looking to protect his remaining children, right? absolutely. Like, it, you know, there's a movie about the Jewish resistance in the woods, I think in Poland. Um, Liev Shriver was in it. Um, and it was a true. It was based on a true story. And, and there was a group of uh, Jews living out in the woods, keeping themselves and each other safe. But they had a rule, no babies. So wow. not no fucking, just no babies. Yeah. If you have a baby, you'd better, or if you if you get pregnant, you'd better take care of that shit. Right, like that. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that that's never even, yeah, discussed at all. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not it's, even passing. It's just baked right in pro life. You know, yeah, it is. Which again, like, hats off to you for wanting to have kids and like rebuild this world. But mm, you know, like, <laughs> babies cry. Like this is. Going- I'm just saying that. There's some uh, unexplored conflict there for sure. Yeah. So, and like I said, they're very well armed. Um, The parents, their only overt identity is spoken to each other, really, um, where they say, where the mom says, who are we if we can't protect them? We have to protect them. Um, And so the, the parent identity is that of a protector. And the mom is saying this to the dad and then encouraging him to go do it, which is so tropey. Like, go do the dangerous thing. Right. You know? Yeah. Take care of business, Pa. Yeah. Uh, now, in fairness, she literally just gave birth. 
So it's not like she has the energy to go do that. But right. but this really does feel like men writing what they think women are. Yeah, it yeah. does. Uh, you know, because the mom literally just gave birth, which is the most mom woman thing that a man thinks a woman can do. Right. And then she says that. You know, go protect them. And previously in the movie, she told her kids as a way to comfort them, your father will protect you. Your father will always protect you. And is that true? Well, no. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, ultimately, I suppose so. But, you know, like, you know, beat by beat. No, you know. Um, And that protection, by the way, is done ultimately with guns to the point where at the very, very end, the mom is cocking and loading the shotgun like a badass who's had enough. Yeah, yeah, Terminator 2 shit. Yes. I mean, straight up Linda Hamilton, you know, she racks the gun. And now it's also pro-gun. Yes, very. So pro-family, pro, like I was kind of surprised there wasn't a Bible upon the, you know, second or third time I watched it. Right. Or some sort of like, she's going to quote the Bible about a man's job or something like that. Like that wasn't there. And I was like, okay. But uh, maybe that was too too obvious. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So they're like. Let's uh, you know, let's go for the the flush, the straight flush, not the royal flush. <laughs> right? Yeah, enough's enough. You know, we got yeah. we got all red cards. We're good. Um, and yeah, naturally, all of those things would have to happen in such a world, right? You would need to protect your family. You would need to husband weapons. You would need to find a way to grow food and all that. But it's also a pretty clear choice to show that they're thriving more than anyone else in the film in this particular instance. And Krasinski was pretty clear and has been very consistent about his claim that this movie is about parenthood and the need to protect your young. He talks about it in interviews repeatedly. He makes plenty of sense with it. Um, He just had his second child with Emily Blunt. So that would definitely be weighing on his mind. Um, And I think that consciously that probably was his intent. But subconsciously, if you look at every thread that he's pulling on, and that it entered production in 2017 at a time where white men were loudly shouting their fear of obliteration and their relief at a president who understood their preciousness, plenty else got written into this movie. Yeah. Yeah, as I, as, and you know, as I watched it the, the first time around, mm-hmm. uh, I remember thinking like, wow, this is very, uh, this seems like a, uh, a fantasy movie. It's almost like a, a fantasy movie of where like the the family is like, wouldn't it be cool if we were just taking care of ourselves? We didn't yes. have to worry about gays and race and yes, you know, libertarian frontier fantasy, right? Yeah, that's why people moved to Kentucky from Vermont in the eighteen twenties, right? Or why racist Californians are like, I really am thinking of moving to Boise. Yeah, <laughs> yes, or or state of Jefferson, right? So yeah. Uh, now, the main characters have to remain silent or, as I've said a number of times, the dark-skinned, overpowering, dangerous, hyper-reactive creatures will kill them. Right. In August, like every every bad stereotype. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Like, I'm a little surprised that, like, if you played music, they'd start dancing. Didn't pop in. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> One of them's carrying a boombox. It's <laughs> like, What's going on here? It's, they've got like the red bandana. Is this thingy. breaking? What's going on? <laughs> oh, and then Ozone falls down the stairs again. <laughs> this movie was. This movie would have been a lot better with just an Ozone cameo. Oh. I'm just saying. 
Yes, it would have. Every movie would be better with those on. That's, that's true. That's opinion. very, you know, I, I think we should, we, we need to crowdsource that. That's for sure. That's the thing. Put that needs to in every movie. Yes. He's all exhausted. He's like, please stop, please. <laughs> I'm very tired. And so in August of 2017, white men who were armed with tiki torches stormed the streets in Charlottesville, Virginia, led by Richard Spencer and Jason Kessler, ragefully shouting that, quote, Jews will not replace us. They whipped themselves up into such a false narrative based on fear that it quickly turned into rage because the city voted to remove a hastily and shittily made statue of Robert E. Lee that went up in 1924 as a response to a growing movement in the 1920s for equal rights for black people. Prior to that, there was no statue of Robert E. Lee in that park, and yet it went up 54 years after he died, which is a weird number. Anyway... I, I bring this up because those young men felt murderous rage enough that uh, at the fact that a statue was going to be removed legally, I might add, that they shouted their rage while marching, intimidating and attacking counter-protesters up to and including the murder of Heather Heyer. Right. I bring this up specifically because the old man in the woods that the father and the son run into, he is alone, he is afraid, and he is angry. And he yeah. sees he sees two people who have a relationship with each other, a father and a son, and that's the last fucking straw for him. He doesn't sing out in joy, and he doesn't com- uh, in, in order to commit suicide because he shouts out. His last words to the world aren't some beautiful poem. They're not Carpenter's lyrics. They're not even <laughs> the name of his beloved wife. Um, his last words are a rage-filled howl, and that's what he shouts out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So all the characters in the movie are white. Um, They are the super majority. And yet they're terrified of the consequences of what they say. Because what they say can get them killed. And this is absolutely, even without meaning to, lining up perfectly with plenty of people who bemoan the fact that PC culture has made it so that you can't say whatever you want to anymore. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. We can't even fart. (laughs) Oh, my God. There's your metaphor. Yeah, we Jesus. can't even fart without the uh, the right. left <laughs> trying to take us down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Used to be you could just let out whatever methane you wanted. Yeah. Back in my day, you could just <laughs> fart as you're walking to the country store. You could fart in the white section of the bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, again, this doesn't have to be purposeful for it to be true. The movie still is carrying that water and the birth of a child and a boy at that, by the way, um, has to be stifled because again, noise means death. So they didn't terminate the pregnancy, but instead they chose to keep the baby. Cool. That's part of being pro-choice too, but mm, you could do a little math there, but they have to keep that desire quiet too. Can't even celebrate the birth of a good white boy. Yeah, yeah, we gotta keep it in, indoors. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know who who's gonna be judging us outside. Exactly. Like, and and you know, if if we let out the wrong celebration cry, then you know, we're we're done. We're for, all we're all gonna get killed. We're gonna get canceled. You know? Yeah, it's cancel culture is <laughs> upon us. <laughs> so when the dad trying to save his children, uh, who are now being kept safe in the family truck, cue up the Chevy commercial. Uh, he kills himself too. He he screams out to distract the monster from them. He doesn't say their names, 
he doesn't say I love you. Um, he he does before that. He he signs to his daughter, "I love you. I have always loved you," which is a really sweet, sweet. moment. Yeah, it's that, that's hard for me as a dad, but. He doesn't say their names. He doesn't shout out his love for them. He doesn't sing a line from Harvest Moon, which was the only song we hear in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I cannot casually enjoy anything. Right. <laughs> he screams out in dire pain and sadness and with some anger involved. And then, giving voice to his anger, he is killed by the object of all their fear and the reason for their forced silence. There you go. Yeah. A martyr. Yes, because he dared to speak out, right? By finally letting his voice be heard, by finally shouting out and enacting his rights as a father and a man to be heard in this world, he was able to rescue his children from the predations of these dark, imposing creatures. So he sacrificed himself nobly, fulfilling the promise that the mother made to the children earlier. And by the end of the movie, the remaining family members have put it together what they need to do. Right, And the very last scene is them preparing. Two more creatures were drawn by the sounds of the shotgun being used uh, against one of the creatures that couldn't handle what noise was coming from the daughter's cochlear implant. And her ability to overcome her disability with her father's help was too much for the creature. We fixed it ourselves. We didn't need any of that government health care. We didn't need any. Like, there's a lot of, like, just very. Bootstraps. Yeah. Grab your bootstraps. Yeah. And the fact that Get they up. did it caused the creature's head to literally explode there's a metaphor there right it's funny you would say that i literally have written next that's quite the metaphor <laughs> but yeah it, wow like you know it's just liberal tears you know yeah right so right anyway the children are armed now because it, frankly in that world i i could see that making sense but at the same time we're watching this movie and children are now armed the mother cocks her gun it's a shotgun and the movie ends with them prepared to violently oppose those who are gathering around them. Wow. That's timely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're going to take your guns from you. Mm-hmm. you got to keep them by. Well, and do you know what was happening in 2018, by the way? I mean, a lot of stuff, but... Midterm elections. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So did Krasinski, Beck, and Wood set out to make a movie that responded to the ideas of black identity and the near lobotomization of black men in order to fit in with white society? No, they didn't. I I don't think that they're that devious or that clever. Did they set out to make a movie that represented white frustration at not being able to say whatever they wanted consequence-free in a world where their dominance and supremacy were no longer considered a given structure in society? I don't think they set out to do that. Yeah, you don't have to to do it. Right. They made that movie anyway while trying to look at the difficulty in keeping your family safe because the underlying context there is to keep your family safe in a world that's increasingly chaotic and unreliable to the point where even the richest among us feel some sense of dread at the specter of it, as Krasinski did when he brought his his baby daughter home. I think that 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 absolutely feeds itself into... The, the very substance of the movie. And yes, I think that they made that movie. Yeah, I mean, whether it's intentional or not, they made kind of a white nationalist movie. Yeah, right? Which sucks because it's, again, farts aside, I think it's a very well-directed and well-crafted movie. Oh, yeah, movie. cinematography's great. Oh, yeah. Uh, special effects are good. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well-acted. Mm-hmm. 
well, very well directed. I mean, just, you know, again, the the sign language thing that I brought up, the fact that he has his own style and so does mom, that was a deliberate choice. Like, there's so yeah. many good choices that are made in that movie. Just, it's also a white nationalist movie. <laughs> it's First just, of all, I, I yeah. love, uh, thank you for, for making me think about the movie, but it does, uh, for for whatever reason, it, it definitely shows how you watch a movie and how I watch a movie. I mean, <laughs> I was watching the movie and I was like five minutes in. I was like, somebody would fart and they'd all be dead. This movie's dumb. <laughs> you know what I yeah. Mean? And I just painstakingly watched the rest of it. Right. Uh, missing yeah. most of the metaphors. Yeah, well, and, and again, I don't think many of those metaphors were, were intentional. But it's, it's you know, it's how to put um, you very often end up with art not being what you intended as being what people carry away from it. Right. So I, you know, I mean, there's so many like sad love songs out there that I'm sure weren't intentionally trying to be a song. That's like, well, this this is just a song about how much I hate my girlfriend Uh, for no, for no other reason than just not wanting me anymore. Right. Yeah. I I can. Yeah. I mean, half the Beatles discography is like, really horrible toward women you know right. and at the time it's just poppy song of like ah this is what young romance was because that's that's what passed for romance at that time right and and i think yeah, i mean yeah even like i want to hold your hand where it's oh. just like in a different context it's just like oh, i'm gonna fucking chase you down i'm gonna mm-hmm. make you love me because i desire you yeah yeah like my desires and you should be flattered right you know you i should be honored I, I should wear you down to the point where you say yes like it's it's like how many rom coms from the eighties are are basically stalker flicks? Oh no, it's it's fucking creepy as fuck. Yeah, and the one time that you reverse it, it's called Fatal Attraction, and Glenn Close is a stalker. You know, yeah, it's, it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> just... while while Can't Buy Me Love, the kids like oh, I'm a Christ. nerd, nobody loves me, so I'm gonna make this woman, I'm gonna make this teenager, yes, a fucking prostitute, yes, just so I can uh, skip popular in school. Yeah. It, that's, it, that's dark. It, it is. Or uh, say anything. I mean, he's right. standing outside with the boombox. It's like, yeah, get the hose. Like, like, yeah, yeah. You're just like, oh, hey, dude. This is like, I'm, I'm in fear for my life. Yeah, I'm not charmed. Yeah, I'm, I'm locking the doors. <laughs> I'm thinking about moving. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. So, yeah, you, you don't necessarily say, and that's again, you know, like we were talking about with, um. Revenge of the Nerds, like you, you don't set out to make a rape pick, but right. that's what it was. Yeah, and I mean, and yeah. now as you look back on it, it's one of the only things that sticks with you. Is like, yeah, wow, these nerds were peeping toms. They were mm-hmm. fucking uh, rapists. That, mm-hmm. like, uh, it was. I mean, it's it's gross. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there's nothing I mean, good there's, about it. There's a case to be said that it's one of the most problematic movies in the entire 80s. Yeah. It's you know? it's almost a distillation of what was wrong with us in the 80s. Like, it really focuses on the, those things specifically. Right. And, you know, obviously, you know, thank God you couldn't make that movie today. Right. You know? oh, God, I would like to see a Revenge of the Nerds movie made today, though. Like, I, I'm shocked. I saw that they, they re-implored the movie Zapped. And they remade it in 2014 or something with a female protagonist. Oh, I was really? like, how'd they, how'd they pull this off? No shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
It, it yeah. Zap, it, so. Zap is also very problematic. Is it? Oh my god! Take watch it sometime. Okay. All right. It's you'll just be going like, well, <laughs> this, this is a weird incel jack off fantasy. Okay. I'll yeah. I'll go give that a look. Is that the one that starts off with somebody hanging upside down and shooting somebody in the back with a paintball? Uh, no. Oh, okay, that must be a different movie. Then. It could right. it it's uh, it's with of course Scott Baio. Oh oh Jesus Christ! Is in it? Okay. Willie Willie Ames. Oh wow. The old uh, the old uh, Charles and Charge crew. Yeah yeah. Uh yeah it's uh, yeah it's something it's just like. The only way I'll get a girl to like me is if I have secret powers oh, Jesus of, Christ. of telekinesis so I can make her shirt pop open. You know, it's And she'll think that's good. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Wow, that's damn. That is yeah, that's that's bad. That is bad. I mean, it's not on the level of a quiet place as far as being problematic. <laughs> Well, you know, different time too, and and that's the that that's the thing is like this this movie very very popular, and now we know why, like it's pulling on those anxieties of the culture, and it's the skin that it's wearing is absolutely like you got to keep your family safe, but that's that's such coded language now to a large segment of our panicked ass culture, right? And that, and of yeah. course, there's there's going to be MAGA hat people that you know are watching it cheering. Yep. But even worse is that there's the liberal types and the progressive types among us that are watching that and loving it, Yep. not not even knowing what it's saying. Yes. But there's something inherent in them that's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't, you know? Yeah. It absolutely uh, tickles that part of me that's a dad. Of, you right. know, like, Jesus Christ, there's terrible stuff. But then it's like, oh, let's zoom back a little. What? what? Yeah, yeah. And How's this end, being used? Like, tricked, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that's why you need to like you know have a lot of guns. It's like wait a minute, wait wait, yeah. Right. So right. cool. Yeah. So normally I ask uh, Ed or he asks me what what you got from this. What did you glean? But we've pretty much been talking about that the whole this whole go. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say more than anything, it's just that uh, I need to pay more attention during movies. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm the kind of person that just uh, will. Uh, digest something very quickly mm-hmm. uh you know i mean i'm more i look at music and like lyrics of music uh a lot uh-huh. uh that's where i get my like my deep dive on okay. stuff um and, and sometimes with movies you know but uh i i gotta be honest without doing this podcast i probably wouldn't have noticed the sheer amount of uh hidden in plain sight mm-hmm. uh, right-wing symbolism uh, yeah. in the movie. And I'm not sure. I mean, they might want to listen to this. They might not even know how much there is. Oh, yeah, yeah. The so. people that wrote it. Yeah. Krasinski. Krasinski the pig. <laughs> well, I'll never you, look you at could, him the same way. You could, you could reach out to him and ask him to give this a listen. That'd be Yeah, helpful. I'll hit him up on Twitter and be like, yo, dude, we really <laughs> rake you over the coals. <laughs> For your for your secret right wing uh, <laughs> agenda, yeah, your, your polemic movie about black people, yeah. So. He's like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, you heard us. You heard well, us, John. I wouldn't says, mind the. Uh, I would not mind the. There's the, some bad news. The publicity. <laughs> God damn it. There's uh, some bad news. You're a racist. <laughs> 
Don't worry. Good news. There's still a lot of people that like you for that. So <laughs> good, news. good news. You're still rich. Yeah. So, well, cool. Hey, Johnny, where can people find you on the social medias? Oh, I'm at hipsterocracy on all the things. Mm-hmm. Uh, hipsterocracy on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, which I don't use that much. Uh, but more than anything, go uh, go listen to my uh, podcast, Hipsterocracy, wherever podcasts are streamed. Cool. They're on all of them. Uh, just now got on Spotify. Took a minute. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah, we're on uh, episode three. Episode four is out next week. And, uh, yeah, listen, rate, review, subscribe. And uh, it was fun. Thanks, Damien. Oh, no, absolutely. Glad to have you, man. So, everyone, you know where to find me, at Duh Harmony on all the things. Uh, and you can find us at, uh, at Geek History Time. And you can also argue with Ed for not being here at, at E.H. Blaylock. Uh, but mostly check out uh, at Hipsterocracy because uh, that, that's where you're going to get a lot of your shit. So, uh, yeah. So, hey, Johnny, thank you so much for A Geek History of Time. I'm Damien Harmony. I'm Johnny Taylor. All right. And until next time, uh, what does Ed say? Keep rolling 20s? Yeah. That oh, works. man. Yeah. Keep rolling 20s, man. There you go. All right. Dubs. Thanks, bud. Thanks.